Looking at our world from a theological perspective, this is the Theology Central Podcast, making Theology Central. Good evening, everyone. It is Tuesday, October the 24th, 2023. It is currently 9.57 p.m. Central Time, and I am coming to you live from the Theology Central studio located right here in Abilene, Texas. Now, I would love to turn the microphone on at this late hour, play some kind of audio like uh, like breaking news, breaking news. Like I, I wish I could come on and say, ladies and gentlemen, this is a, a Theology Central breaking news alert. I, from within this studio, I have discovered the secret to sanctification. I have figured it out. If you follow these five steps, you will move forward in your Christian life. You will be set apart. You will be like Christ. You will be godly. You will be holy. All of your struggles, all of your difficulties will disappear in an instant. I wish I could turn on the microphone and report that. But sadly, after all of the years of living as a Christian... I still have not figured out the secret to sanctification, and sometimes it leads me almost to the pit of despair. Sometimes it makes me want to just walk up to the side of the cliff and just say, that's it. I give up and just throw myself off, not physically, but metaphorically, and just say, it's useless. It's I, I, I'm tired of striving. I'm tired of fighting. Because when we think of sanctification, we think of... Well, living a life that is set apart unto God. We think about setting that we think about living a life where we die to self, deny self. We're set apart to God for his purpose, his glory, his honor, not for our own selfish wants and needs. We think about living a life where we, we are, we become more like Christ. Now there is a part of me that will tell you, you know what? You know what I want? I want to live a life set apart unto God. You know what I want? I want to grow and to be more like Christ. You know what I want? I want to walk with Christ and I want to grow and I want my desire for God to deepen. And I, I and I could just, I could articulate it so well and I could preach it so good. And, and if I was preaching it in some churches, people would be like, amen. They may even clap and go, brother, we all want that. We all desire that. And maybe I could even preach it in a way that could get people emotional and they would flood the altar and they would fall on their face crying out to God, yes, I want to be more like you and I want to grow closer to you and I want my walk to be deeper with you and I want to be set apart for you and I want to live my life for your honor and your glory. That's what I want. But then we would all, after the meeting is over, get in our cars and we would drive home and guess what would be in the car with us? Us would be in the car with us. And when I say us, I'm talking about that nature that you still have as a Christian, that I still have as a Christian, which says, (laughs) our nature says this because it's a sinful nature. Look, that was a good sermon. I know you got all emotional. I know, I know you're feeling convicted, but hey, 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 come here, come here. Listen to me. You want what you want. Pursue what you want. 
Think about your wants. Think about your needs. Think about your desires. Pursue what you want at all costs. Get what you want. Forget about living for God. Live for self. Forget about pursuing God. Pursue your wants. Get what you want. Get what you need and get it now. Now, we we may not ever allow that to be articulated. We may never say that. I mean, when we sit in church and on Sunday, we all look like, oh, we may even fold our hands and say, oh, brother, oh, sister, I love God and I pursue God. But there's a nature inside of you and inside of me that constantly fights it. And every time I think, okay, all right, I'm going to really, I'm going to really do this. I'm going to really, I'm going to really going to, I, I, I know the reality. So whenever we talk about sanctification, at times it can be maddening because no matter what we study, no matter what we listen to, we always find ourselves, at least for me, and I think I can articulate to you the flaws and the logic, how it is broken and how it just doesn't make sense. Now, Back in the summer of 2023, do you remember way back in the summer of 2023? I had a Bible studies for life study guide right here. Bibles are Bibles. Bible studies for life adult personal study guide, summer 2023. And there's a section in here called, it's a study called Set Apart a Life Lived for God. Set apart a life lived for God. And we worked through a number of these sessions. And remember, they defined the emphasis in the study. This is their description. The emphasis in this study is on sanctification, what it means to live set apart in God and growing to be more like Christ. As our walk with Christ deepens, our lives increasingly point to Christ, the one who set us apart. We live unashamed of who we are in Christ. And then there's six sections set apart, the holiness of God, Psalm 99, set apart by Christ, Romans 6, 5 through 14, set apart, but not alone, 1 Corinthians 2, 6 through 16, set apart in the way we think, Romans 12. 1 through 5, verses 9 through 13. Set apart in the way we live, 2 John uh, verses 1 through 9. And then the last session, and we worked through those five sessions. The last one is set apart for the journey, Philippians 3, 12 through 21, which we have not gotten to because, well, I get distracted by a million other things to talk about. But I, but we've been talking about it. So there was a, there was an emphasis in my mind. All right, summer 2023, we're going to be working on the book of Jeremiah. Let's use this for our own practical spiritual growth. Hey, we're going to be working on this series called Set Apart. Let's use it for our own practical spiritual growth. And here I sit, October the 24th, 2023. And you know what? I'm just going to report to you. And I know you're going to be disappointed in me. I don't know if I'm, I don't feel like I'm any more sanctified, any more godly. I don't know if my walk with Christ has grown at all. I don't know if my love for God has deepened in any way, shape, or form because I know the old me is still very much alive and kicking. And one of the frustrating things about working through this study guide is all of the the way they describe it. The way they describe it is basically, you become a Christian, you say you want to live for God, you're endued with supernatural power, and all of a sudden, boom, basically you can do it. You can keep the law, you can say no to sin, you can be perfect. But then the reality is, is like, well, wait a minute. 
We know we can't be perfect. And even after they sell it that way, they always backtrack and go, well, I mean, you're never going to be perfect. Well, well, then wait a minute. So can I or can't I? And then we realize that no matter how sanctified you think you are, as soon as you take your life and you compare it to what Christ, what the law demands, you're going to find out that you're never going to get there. So then it's like, well, wait a minute. So then how do we understand sanctification? How do we really understand it? Now, I'm sitting here in the studio a little after 10 p.m. And I have just some thoughts. So here's what we're going to do. I saw, I don't know, two weeks ago, maybe a week ago, I got a notification from one of my podcast apps and it said progressive sanctification. I'm like, oh, I wonder what that is. And I realized it was one of my little devotional podcasts I subscribe to. So I went and found that episode and the episode before it was righteous by faith. So I'm like, you know what? I'm going to grab both of those audio clips. We will review both of them. But before we do, before we do, I did not, I did not write any notes down. I'm just going to throw it. These, this is a very, like I did not, and I'm placing this in our series set apart, but I'm not calling like, like set apart part 12 or whatever part we're on. I'm just throwing this out there as like basically late, you know, late night random thoughts on sanctification. So this doesn't have the organization and the structure, like maybe a good podcast episode should. I mean, if you listen to me, you never really get that structure, but um, it's just going to be very kind of just raw and, and real and and honest, and, and then, we'll, then we will review the audio. So here is what I, after all of my years of studying theology, all of my degrees in theology, living as a Christian, being in church, all the different churches, seeing all the chaos and church splits and all the craziness that happens within churches, and see how sometimes you're treated by Christians versus how maybe you're even treated people by the world. The one thing I've learned, I've learned a couple of things. Number one, I know that there is, and I don't know, let me not say number one because I may not get my numbering right. So let me just, I'm just going to throw out some random thoughts here, right? In my mind, I want to start structuring this into some very nice outline so that you can take notes. But the fact is I don't have anything in front of me. So I'm just going to throw out the numbers. You can structure it in your notes the way you want. The, The one thing I know, and I think this is very important. There is a Christianity that is sold to everyone. We advertise it like an info commercial. And the way we sell Christianity over and over and over, especially within the evangelical world, is you come to Jesus and boom, your life will be forever transformed. You'll be a new creature in Christ. All things will pass away. All things will become new. And you're going to, you can say no to sin. You can resist temptation. You can love God and you can be godly. That's the way we sell it. That's the way we sell it. Now, we never stop to think of, wait a minute, what are we saying? Because if if everyone who's in Christ is a new creature, the old is gone, everything is new, that would include the eradication of the old nature, which then would mean you could literally be sinless because you have no sinful nature and now you're indwelt by the Holy Spirit. And So, well, then, but nobody ever stops to go, wait a minute. Because everyone will say you're a new creature, the old is gone, and everything is new, but then at the same time say, yet you can't be perfect. Well, wait a minute. Then why am I not perfect? What's keeping me back from perfection? Well, it's my sinful nature. Well, if I still have a sinful nature, well, then not everything is new, and the old is not gone. So then we understand that we sell a Christianity that does not match reality. Reality is in Christ. 
Positionally, I'm a new creature. The old is gone. Everything is new. Positionally, practically, the old man is alive and kicking. The old nature is there. It doesn't go away. And anyone who teaches you the eradication of the old nature, then they should be able to also teach sinless perfection. And I've heard people teach sinless perfection. And then when you really hang out with them a lot, you'll realize if you compare their life to the actual law of God, they fall short continually. How do I know? Let me give you a couple of scriptures. Love the Lord that God with all your heart, mind, body, and soul. We all fall short. Love your neighbor as yourself. We all fall short. Love your enemy. We all fall short. Be ye perfect as your heavenly father is perfect. We all fall short, fall short. Be ye holy as he is holy. We all fall short. So just those few scriptures. No one even gets anywhere close to being a new creature. The old is gone and everything is new. Positionally, yes, not practically. So there's a Christianity that is sold that is just not real. Now, the problem is the minute you say that, you're saying, people say, you're promoting a weak, defeatist attitude. No, I'm trying to pr- present a real attitude. Now, so, so there's number one. We sell a Christianity that doesn't a- a- exist. Number two, a lot of times we try to pretend that we have the Christianity that is being sold when we really don't, which leads us to putting forth an image, putting forth a self-righteousness that doesn't really exist. We cover ourselves with fig leaves. We clean the white, we, we clean the outside of the tomb. We clean the outside of the cup to make ourselves look good. But the reality is we can't be honest with what's really inside of us, which is Who knows? I can't speak for what's inside of you. It could be covetousness, greed, bitterness, unforgiveness, lust, hatred. Who knows what's going on inside of anyone at any point in time? But we can't really be very honest with that because we're too much pretending that we have a Christianity that was sold that no one actually possesses. So when it comes to sanctification, those are two problems. We sell a Christianity that no one really possesses, yet we all pretend that we have, which leads to self-righteousness, and no one can be very honest with what's really going on inside of them, which is a major problem within Christianity. But number three, because we, once you acknowledge, let me say this, once you acknowledge, wait a minute, I cannot keep God's law. Even as a Christian, I'm never going to keep God's law. I'm going to fall short. And I still have a sinful nature. Once you acknowledge that, this can lead to a serious problem. Acknowledgement of the reality which you currently live as a Christian can lead to a negative problem. And the negative problem is, well, since I cannot keep God's law, since I cannot do this, well then, who cares? We all, then you can lead to a position where you make an excuse for all of your actions. Well, I mean, look, no matter how godly I am, and look, it's easy to fall into this trap. If you constantly look to God's law, you're going to see failure, 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 because you cannot keep it. Now, I know Christians will tell you, you can keep it. I'm telling you, you cannot. Christ keeps it for you and you are, you are obedient to the law in Christ, not in practice. You fall short. I can give you again some very quick scriptures. Love the Lord that God with all your heart. Love your neighbor as yourself. Love your enemy and be holy as God is holy. You fall short. So you don't ever keep God's law. And to even think that you do, you have to be delusional and live in self-denial and cover yourself in a robe of self-righteousness. But once you admit, I can't do it, this is what you can fall into. Well, wait a minute. 
If I do A, B, C, yeah, that's bad. But even if I don't do A, B, C, I'm still going to be guilty against God's law. So who cares then about A, B, C? Then you can play this kind of game that, hey, you get mad at me for committing this sin. Well, guess what? We're all sinners. And that's not something we want. That leads to a almost a justifying of our wrong. So we don't want to ever fall into a place where we use the fact that we cannot keep God's law as an excuse for not keeping any law. The fact that we cannot keep the law should not lead us to say, well, then I can do I, I can do whatever. And I, I don't know about you. I, I know I have fallen into that trap at times. But then there's another point. Now, this one, I don't know exactly how to articulate it, but I think it's a question we have to ask ourselves. Based just on a human commitment to a greater thing, a human commitment to the fact that there is a creator, there is God, and God, we are committed to him and his purpose and his glory. Just basic human commitment to that. How far should that get us in our Christian life? Just a mere, I'm committed to this because I know human beings with commitment to a greater purpose can accomplish pretty great things. Some people committed to an athletic pursuit will sacrifice discipline, deny self to to win a trophy, to win a championship, to get a gold medal, to get into the Olympics, to make it to the NFL. So what can we do just with pure human commitment? Now, some people say, well, no, 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 no. You should not do that. That's the wrong way to approach the Christian life. You've got to give up. You've got to let God do it through you. Well, when you say give up and let God do it through you, say give up and say, God, do it through me. All right, now what? So now you create a situation where if then if you do this or this or this, then it's God's fault because God didn't do it for you. You say, well, no, no, it's not God's fault. It's your fault. But if God is the one who's supposed to get me to to this and I don't get there, well, then it has to be God's fault. I think it's just a question I have to ask. Look, I'm not going to ask you to ask yourself the question. I have to ask me just my own personal commitment to God. If I'm truly committed to to him, what, what does that look like? Now, it's not going to look like true righteousness. It's not going to look like true godliness. That only comes by the imputed righteousness of Christ. But it would look like, I don't know, someone who's committed to this cause versus their own selfish cause. Because I know I am more committed to my own selfish cause than I'm committed to the cause of Christ. I know that. I know that. I know that every single day. I am slapped in the face with it every day. Every day. You love yourself. You love what you want. You desire it, and you're going to reach out and grab it. And I I can't deny that. I cannot deny that. Because I'm literally fighting something that exists within me. Like on one hand, I don't ever want to say, well, look, 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 look. I stopped doing like, I don't know. Well, I I was going to try to show you some illustration. I don't ever want to get to the point where like, well, look at this. Look at this. I stopped doing these three things. Look at me now, ladies and gentlemen, I'm godly. That's the wrong approach. But at the same time, I don't want to get to the uh, the, uh, the point where I'm like, well, even if I don't do these three things, I'm still guilty of 50 other things. So then what is even the point of stopping to do these three things? 
And then here's another thing that you can get to. Here's, an, here's another problem you, that can happen is you can realize how many times you fail, you fail, you fail, you fail, you fail, that you just stop trying. Hey, a past mistake. That, that's, a da- that's always a dangerous place to get into a Christian life where a past failure handicaps future pr- progress. Where you're, you're, look, I've made all kinds of mistakes in my Christian life, horrible mistakes, but does that stop me from moving forward? Do I become handicapped and frozen in the past? Or do you look, you're like, you know what? I can't change it. I can't do anything about that. But you know what I can do? I can try to do better tomorrow. Now, there's just some random thoughts on sanctification. I just know I get very frustrated to hearing a Christianity being sold to people. That's just not real. But yet Christians buy into it over and over and over and over and over and over. And it's preached over and over and over and over that now that you're a Christian, you can do this. You have power. You can do it. And then they always throw in, see the fine print. However, you still have a sinful nature and you can't be perfect. But you can do it. I mean, you really can't do it. And it's and it's double speak. And we have reviewed way too much audio on this podcast from sermons around the country where that double speak is used in the same sermon, sometimes within minutes apart, and no one in the congregation ever goes, you're contradicting your own self. Now, I don't know what's going to happen in these two audio clips we're about to have. They may be very... They may be very pertinent to to one of the points I've just given you. They may be. They may not have anything to do with anything. But I thought, hey, it's it's a Tuesday night. Why not? Why not? I'm here in the studio. Why not try to accomplish something? Why not? Why not try to do something? Right? So let's listen to the first one. This one's called Made Righteous by Faith. I have I, I'm hoping when they say made righteous by faith, they're referring to our positional standing because of an imputed righteousness. But let's see which direction they're going to take this, and we're going to find out right now. Here we go. Here's Dr. Gene Gatz to share today's Bible principle, an enduring truth you can live by. To be faithful to the gospel of Jesus Christ. We must never compromise the biblical teaching that we're made righteous by faith and faith alone. You see, Paul addressed this principle when he wrote to the Philippians. Some of his fellow Jews insisted that no one could be saved apart from circumcision. Against this backdrop, we can understand more fully Paul's concern for the believers in Philippi when he wrote these very startling words. My brothers and sisters, rejoice in the Lord. To write to you again about this is no trouble for me and is a safeguard for you. Watch out for the dogs. Watch out for the evil workers. Watch out for those who mutilate the flesh. Well, dogs, of course, is a very strong metaphor, but it graphically illustrates how evil men were literally tearing the church apart. Paul went on to say that at one time he was a dog. He was a Pharisee who persecuted the church. But Paul then went on to share his conversion experience, his new life in Christ. He wrote, But everything that was a gain to me, I've considered to be a loss because of Christ. More than that, I also consider everything to be a loss in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. You see, because of Paul's own experience, he understood the mindset of those Judaizers who were tearing churches apart. 
Consequently, he was being proactive with the Philippians and warning them about these divisive religious leaders who denied they were saved by grace through faith and faith alone. The Bible principle you've heard today comes from the Life Essentials Study Bible by Dr. Gene Getz. To find out how you can receive this Bible, go to BiblePrinciples.org. Now you can go to BiblePrinciples.org. Look it up for yourself. It's a daily, they have a daily podcast. You can see it's only two minutes. So that's not, that wasn't super helpful because they didn't really explain what righteousness he is referring to. So let me back up and help you find it. Philippians chapter three, because this is very, very, very important. All right. Philippians chapter three. Now, starting in verse five, Paul lists all of these things about himself, that he was circumcised. This is Philippians three, five. He was circumcised the eighth day of the stock of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin and Hebrew of the Hebrews as touching the law of Pharisee concerning zeal, persecuting the church, touching the righteousness, uh, touching the righteousness, which is in the law of blameless. Hey, he, he's talking about how holy and righteous he was and how godly he, he supposedly was in trying to keep the law. But look what he says in verse 7, Philippians 3, 7. But what these things were gained to me, those I counted loss for Christ. Hey, these things that I, I, I could have looked to and said, look at me, I'm being godly, I'm being holy. I counted them but loss. I threw them aside for Christ. Why? Listen, yea, doubtless, I count all these things but loss for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things and do count them but dung that I may win Christ. All of this human righteousness, all of this human law keeping is but dung. And then look what he says, and be found in him, found in Christ, not having my own righteousness, which is of the law, but that which is through the faith of Christ, the righteousness which is of God by faith. Look, sanctification, whatever we're going to talk about sanctification, this is the foundation. The foundation is in your life and my life. Yes, whatever we try to pursue in being godly and holy, we always have to remember everything is built on this fact that we are righteous in Christ by a righteousness that we obtain by faith. It's not by law keeping. It's not by based on anything we will do, should do, could do, may do. I stand before God perfectly holy, perfectly right, right, perfectly righteous, perfectly holy, perfectly obedient, because by faith, Christ's righteousness is accredited to my account. That's why I will never understand a Christianity that says, wait, 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 wait. If you know you're truly saved, you'll do A, B, C, D, E, F, G, H, I, J, K, because you're looking to practical righteousness to somehow prove that you have received an imputed righteousness. But you receive that imputed righteousness by faith, and it's an imputed righteousness. Therefore, imputed righteousness doesn't manifest itself in a practical way. It's imputed. It's simply accredited to your account. If you're looking for action to prove a righteousness that you receive by faith, then you believe you're saved by an infused righteousness, which must manifest itself in a practical way. So we, we before we get to sanctification, we have to understand my hope my standing before God in Christ, I'm perfect and righteous. Oh, you could you could accuse me of 750,000 things and probably 780,000 of them would be true. You just missed a few thousand. But guess what? In Christ, I'm perfect, righteous, and holy. It doesn't excuse all of the wrong in my life. 
But at least there, that takes care of my salvation good. Now, that doesn't have anything really to do with our, well, then sanctification does it. So they talked about a righteousness by faith, but the very next episode of this podcast is called Progressive Sanctification. So let's see what they have to say about this. This is Bible Principles with Dr. Gene Getz. As you read Paul's letter to the Philippians, you'll see that he shared some very harsh words about false teachers who were literally tearing the church apart. They were like ferocious animals attacking their prey. Paul also made it clear that they had selfish motives, primarily involving money. Their goal was materialistic. However, Paul softens his words by humbly admitting that he, as a believer in Christ, was still in process of becoming more and more like Jesus Christ, which is a great example for all of us. Here's what he wrote. Not that I have already reached the goal or am already perfect, but I make every effort to take hold of it because I also have been taken hold of by Christ Jesus. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do forgetting what is behind and reaching forward to what is ahead. I pursue as my goal the prize promised by God's heavenly call in Christ Jesus. Now, those words are in Philippians chapter 3 as well. So now we have the imputed righteousness that comes by faith. Now we have something that we are pursuing. And look what it says, Philippians chapter 3 verse 13. Brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended, but this one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forth unto those things which are before. Look, in sanctification, if you're going to pursue sanctification, you know what you have to do at some point? You got to wake up and go, you know what? I I did did this, or I struggled with this, or I said this, or this, or whatever the case may be. You know what you have to do? You got to just say... First, you say, God, I've done these things. They're covered by the blood of Christ. Don't excuse it. I did it. I know it was wrong. Now, Lord, I'm going to forget it. I'm going to forget it. But I'm not going to just forget it and then just go on and do it. I'm going to forget it. But look what he's going to do. All right. All right. So I, uh, this is, uh, I count not myself to have uh, apprehended, but this one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forth unto those things which are before. At some point, you got to just wash your hands of what is behind. Now, some people feel like that that's an excuse, but sometimes you just got to forget it. You just got to say it happened. It's done. There's nothing I can do about it, right? You can go back, kick it around. You can, you can make a scandal out of it. You can make a, sometimes you just got to say, you know what? It's there. There's nothing I can do. I own it. I, I, look, hey, how, how have you been doing in your Christian life? Look, I've been a mess. Okay. But I accept that I've been a mess. Now, now you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to forget it and I'm going to move forward. I'm going to move forward, forward. There's no moving forward if you're looking backwards. And you just got to say, that's what it was. And I'm going to move forward. Now, sometimes people don't want to let you move forward. Sometimes people will be very there, go slap you in the face, going, look back, look back, look back. You piece of trash. But you know what? You get to say, you know what? I am a piece of trash. But in Christ Jesus, I'm perfect and holy. And he has forgiven that. He paid for that sin. He's removed it as far as the east is from the west. He's thrown it in the deepest ocean. It's been paid for. He died for it. Now I'm going to go that direction. 
And you can try to throw that back at me. You can say whatever you want about me, but that's what I'm going to do. And then look, not only am I going to, now I'm going to look, I'm going to reach to those things which are before. Look at verse 14. I press, I press towards the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. I press, I press. What does that mean? I press. Now, I don't know if they're going to tell, I don't know if they're going to tell us, but let's look it up in the Blue Letter Bible app. What do you think? What do you think? You want to look it up in the Blue Letter Bible app? I think we should look it up in the Blue Letter Bible app. It's what I think. That's what I think we're going to do. I'm going to look it up in the Blue Letter Bible app. Here we go. Where can I find it? Where can I find it? Can I find it? Where's the, there's the Blue Letter Bible app. I'm going to go to New Testament. I'm going to go to Philippians. We are in chapter three. I'm going to go here. I press. I'm going to go to the interlinear. I'm going to go for the phrase, I press. And guess what? It's right here. It's right here. Here's the Greek word for I press. Strong's G, 1377. Dioko. 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 I'm going to press. Dioko. Dioko. The King James, it's translated persecute. That's an interesting phrase. 28 times. Follow after, follow, suffer persecution. All right. So Strong's definition, pro, uh, prolong and causative form of a primary verb uh, to flee. All right. To pursue literally or figuratively by implication to persecute, to follow after, give it to suffer. So there's an idea of, of persecution. Like when you, if you're persecuting something, you're going after it, you're going after it and you, you cause it to suffer. Well, and this, this is, I'm going to pursue it. Even, even if it involves suffering, I'm going to press towards it. The outline of biblical usage is this. To make, to run, or flee, put to flight, drive away. To run swiftly in order to catch a person or thing. That's one thing. On one thing, you're, you're making something run away. You're, you're putting it to flight. You're driving it away. Well, if you go with the context here, I'm not saying this works perfectly, but you drive away the past. You just say, I'm, that's, that's gotta go. I can't, I can't worry about that. I can't worry. I can't worry about that. There's, there's of no value bringing that up. And, and, and just, just sometimes people want to just go back to the past and all it does is it, it's nothing of value. But I know this. I'm going to run swiftly in order to catch a person or thing. I'm going to run after. I'm going to press towards Christ. I'm going to press on figuratively. Um, I'm going to, uh, and then, well, there's a hostility, there's a persecution, but I'm going to run after Christ. And in a sense, nothing is going to get in my way. I mean, there's more there. We, we could spend a couple, of, a couple of hours working on it, but there's a concept here. Progressive Christianity seems to involve, or progressive Christianity, I'm sorry, progressive sanctification seems to involve that an acknowledgement of where we are. So we could write this down. P- progressive sanctification involves first an acknowledgement of where I am. Hey, I'm not there yet. And acknowledging where you're struggling, where you're falling short, where your problem is. First, acknowledging it. Second, an acknowledgement of where you have been, the mistakes you've made, the struggles you've made. So you're looking back, you're looking presently, you're looking back and acknowledging, but then you're doing this. You are forgetting what's behind. 
Yeah, to, to, to at least say you're going to forget what's behind you, obviously, or at least acknowledging it. So you acknowledge where you are, you acknowledge where you've been, and then you forget all of that, and you turn and you say, now I'm going to move after. So I'm going to, I'm going to move after. I'm going to move forward. So you kind of acknowledge, man, I, I'm not there yet. I'm going to forget the things that are behind. I'm going to now uh, reach forth into those things which are ahead. And then it is, I'm going to press. I'm going to press and pursue the mark, the prize. I'm going to pursue uh, the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. It's acknowledging, here's where I am. That's where I've been. Okay, now I'm going to turn. I'm moving forward and I'm pressing towards the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. I'm going to press toward. This is what I'm going to press toward. It may, it may hurt. It may be difficult. I may, there may be, it may be like suffering, but I'm going to pursue it. Now, guess what is going to happen? Now, but see, this is the reality though. Paul doesn't mention it here. Paul doesn't mention it here. But we will mention it when if you acknowledge where you are, you forget what's behind, you turn to move forward, and then you're going to press. You're going to put forth the effort. You're going to strive for the high calling of Christ. But guess what? It's only going to take a couple of minutes before that, that nature inside of you is going to be like, um, excuse me, excuse me. Hey, 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 pay attention. We got some desires. We got some wants. We got some needs. We got some goals. I don't know why you're forgetting that and doing this. And No, no, no. Right here. Pay attention to me. And that shows up every single day when we get frustrated and irritated and angry and we covet and we desire. Because as much as we say we want to press towards the high calling of Christ, of God in Christ Jesus, sometimes that's just not as appealing as what we want right now. Because what I want right now, it's not always in accordance with the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. Now, how can I convince myself that what I really want, how can I really, or maybe not even convince myself, how can I reach a point where what I want more than anything else is the high calling of God in Christ Jesus? How can I so desire that more than I desire the 50,000 other things that I want? I don't know if I ever can because the sinful nature is always going to be fighting against it. That's why when people talk about spiritual warfare, the real spiritual warfare happens on the inside. Now, I think there are day, I think, I think it's, that's where Paul finds himself in Romans 7. The things I want to do, I don't always do. And the things I don't want to do, those are the things I do. That struggle remains. It's the ever, it's the, not the eternal struggle. It's the consistent, perpetual struggle of a Christian while we are in the flesh. Let's listen to the rest of what they had to say. To understand what Paul was saying, we need to understand the total picture in terms of our salvation. When we receive Jesus Christ, we're positionally sanctified. That is, in God's sight, we are made perfectly holy. However, as we live the Christian life, 
we're to become progressively sanctified. That is, we're to become more and more like Jesus Christ. However, here's the good news. When we meet Christ in heaven, we will be ultimately sanctified. We will be like him, for we will see him as he is. The Bible principle. Now, I like that. Positionally, we are sanctified. Practically, we're in progress. We're in process. However you want to put it, we're progressively trying to move. And I, and I think it's a, it's, a, it's a progressive thing where we're never going to get there. We're never, it's going to be mixed with failure, ups and downs and struggles. But then ultimately, there's an ultimate sanctification that will be, that will be forever when we, look, we uh, receive a glorified body where there's no more sinful nature. Until the sinful nature is gone, our progressive sanctification will always be in process. It will always be in progress. It will never be complete. There will, I will never reach a point in my progressive sanctification where I'm like, look at me. It's always going to be, oh man, I'm doing so good right now. Like, like I may be right now at this moment, I may get myself like, I can do this. I'm going to do, I've got the rest of 2023. I'm going to go out and I'm going to pursue Christ and I'm going to put him first. And I can say that right now. And then 15 minutes from now, I may be like, <laughs> forget that. Oh, oh, don't act all, all sanctimonious at me and go, oh, I can't believe he said that because it's the way it works. Because feelings and emotions and desires, feelings and emotions and desires, feelings and emotions and desire, because all I can see is the, is the, the present. It's hard to see the eternal. It's hard to see the eternal because if you think about it, when we're pressing towards the high mark, the high calling of God in Christ Jesus, when you think of progressive sanctification, we are, we are pursuing. We're pressing towards something that is more eternal, that is spiritual. It's not material. It's not tangible. It's not flesh. We don't feel that, right? Whatever, whenever we get motivated with a feeling, a spiritual feeling, it's a part of our human emotions and it's temporal. It's, it's, it's gonna, it's gonna fade. And that's the, that's the, so that's the difficulty in sanctification is you can motivate yourself temporarily, to pursue it, but the emotions will go away. And so what you're left with, you just have to be left with this reality. Can you constantly remind yourself what I want right there, what I want, what I need right now? That's all, that's all material and fleshly and temporal. What I should want is eternal and is spiritual. Now I can say those words. I know those words and I constantly find myself wanting the temporal, wanting the fleshly, wanting the material because the spiritual is hard to see. And because I know no, how, no matter how hard I pursue the spiritual, I'm going to be guilty of 50,000 things no matter what I give up. I don't know how to keep the spiritual there. I don't know how. I don't know how. Other than, you know, locking yourself away in a monastery. Now, even then, only keeps you away from maybe the actuality, but the mind and the desire 
will still be there. So you're still sinning, but I guess, is that better than like, is that better than doing anything? I, I don't, you know, that, that's where you get into those never ending discussions. I wish I could say that, Hey, I got it figured out, but I know what I need to strive to do. And I need to remind myself every day, acknowledge that I'm not there yet. Cause I'm definitely not say, Hey, Man, I can't fix one thing I've done in the past. I can't fix what I did five hours ago, 10 hours ago, 20 hours ago, six years ago. I can't fix it. I cannot fix it. I cannot. And there's no, no, no value in going back and throwing it around and saying, look at what I did. Woe is me. Look what I did. That's of no value. That, that's of no, there's, there's no good in doing that. So all I can say is, I know I've done bad in the past. I know I'm not there yet, but I'm going to turn and now I'm going to move forward and I'm going to press towards that mark. And when I say I'm going to press towards, that doesn't mean I'm going to obtain it because I'm only going to obtain it in eternity, right? I've already obtained it positionally. Now I'm going to try to obtain it practically, but I'm going to put, I've got to put forth the effort. Now, I know that sounds a much more humanistic, fleshly approach where other Christians want much more a mystical approach spiritual approach where, no, God will do this. God will do it. God will do it for you. God will accomplish it through you. Well, then if God's going to be the one doing it, you think spiritual perfection and holiness and perfect and righteousness and sinlessness, God could get me there. But I know God's not going to get me to perfection. He's not going to get me to sinlessness until eternity. So then if God is the one doing it, well, then do I blame God for not doing it? At some point, I got to just take, hey, here's scripture. I'm supposed to be pursuing God. And now I got to take some responsibility on my own. Now, at the same time, I could say, God, you could make this whole process a whole lot simpler if you would just remove the sinful nature now. Because if you remove the sinful nature now, Boom. I'm, I'm pretty much 60, 70, 80% cl- there, right? Because I don't have any in- a internal thing fighting against it. It would just be like, there's God. And if you didn't have the Holy Spirit in you and no sinful nature, you, you, you should be, well, you should be holy. You should be sinless. Now, I know some Christians teach it that way, but it's just, it's... Look at 2,000 years of church history. Look, look at all the history of Israel. Sin, failure, sin, failure. Look at the history of Christianity. Sin, failure, sin, failure. Even as early as the first Corinthians. Look at that church. Look at, look at churches you go to. Look at your own life. If you're really willing to compare your life to the law of God, you're going to be like, woe is me. That's why we have to have the imputed righteousness as the foundation in which to stand on. But there you have it. Some very random late night thoughts on sanctification to just kind of add to our ongoing series called Set Apart, where we've been discussing sanctification. And the study guide, the very next session, wants us in Philippians 3. So maybe we will do that soon. Some of you may be looking for the next Bible uh, pop quiz. Maybe. I don't know. I've not gotten any emails asking me where the next one is. I have not forgotten. We will get there. But this is what has been on my mind. I'm always trying to figure out the Christian life. I'm always. All of these years, I'm still trying to figure it out. 
I'm still trying to figure it out. I know I've definitely not apprehended. I, I definitely know I'm not there. I've not apprehended it. I've not figured it out. I've not mastered it. I Sometimes I feel like I'm nowhere close to it. I definitely know all my failures in the past. They are legion. All right. I definitely know. Probably my mistakes of the past would make yours look like nothing. But all I, I can try to do is say, you know what? Hey, guys, I'm going to try to look that way. I'm going to try. I'm going to try to pursue Christ. Because I know if I pursue Christ, that's what I need to pursue. I'm going to press towards. Now, don't don't cite me. Don't quote me. When, I don't know, 24 hours later, 48 hours later, six months from now, I'm like, man, my Christian life is a total shambles. And you're like, well, what did you preach? Well, I, I look, I know the right answers, but I know I got something literally, I got the wrong answer literally inside of me, literally a part of my very DNA, my very nature is corrupted. And sometimes I'm just going to be honest with you. The corrupt nature definitely is louder more appealing and more convincing than all the truth that I can know, speak, teach, and even deeply believe. It was King David who wrote these words. O God, thou art my God, early will I seek thee. My soul thirsteth for thee. My flesh longeth for thee in a dry and thirsty land where no water is. To see thy power and thy glory, so I have seen thee in the sanctuary. Because thy loving kindness is better than life, my lips shall praise thee. Thus will I bless thee while I live. I will lift up my hands in thy name. My soul shall be satisfied as with morrow and fatness, and my mouth shall praise thee with joyful lips. When I remember thee upon my bed, and I meditate on thee in the night watches, because thou hast been my help. Therefore, in the shadow of thy wings will I rejoice. My soul followeth hard after thee. That's someone seeking God in the morning, thinking of God at night on his bed, and his soul is following hard after him. That's Psalm 63. Now, I would just challenge you to see if you can figure out the historical setting. I don't know the answer to this question. I don't know the answer to this question. So I'm not going to pretend like I'm asking you a question just because I know it. No, no, this is not the case. I don't know the answer to this question, but I think you should read the words of Psalm 63 and then ask yourself, Is that written after David commits adultery, murders someone to an attempt to cover up said adultery, ends up with multiple wives, commits other sins? Is that written after it or is it written before it? And if it's written before it, if it's written before it, then how could someone who was that seemingly saying all the right words, the kind of Christian life I would love to live, how does he end up there? And then one night watching a woman take a bath and the next thing you know, with multiple wives, polygamy, all of the other sins, we could talk about the other things he did 
and 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 we could we could get into a number of the other things that David did. How how does he go from that to that? If it's after he writes these words after his horrible sin and polygamy and everything else that he does, does then then do we go, well, how did he figure this out? How did he get from that to that? If it's after the fact, praise God, that's hope, right? Hey, that even after you've messed up, you can still pursue God. And I believe that to be the case no matter how bad you've messed up. Because Paul says, forget the things that lie behind. But it would be good to kind of put that in a historical context. If it's before, then it's a great warning that I could sit one morning and go, Lord, I seek you early in the morning, early. My flesh longs for you. I desire you. My I, At night, I meditate on, on my bed about you. And then, Lord, my soul followeth hard after you. You are what I want. You are what I pursue. You are all I desire. And then one day, like either if it's after your horrible sin, that's good news. And if it's before your horrible sin, it just shows that no matter how, wherever we stand today in our sanctification, tomorrow we may not so stand. Now, I don't want to preach a defeatist version of Christianity, but I'm trying to preach a real version of Christianity. But you know what? If you do, the next day fall. Yes, you have to admit it. Yes, you have to deal with it, right? You have to confess it before God, but get back up. And at some point, you got to, you got to move forward. Because the same man who committed horrible sins was still used by God to write Holy Scripture. So we never want to be defeated. We just want to acknowledge the struggle. So you can tell me what your thoughts. Newsif at yahoo.com. That's newsif at yahoo.com. Newsif at yahoo.com. Thanks for listening to my random late night thoughts on sanctification. Please share your Early morning, mid-afternoon, late afternoon, early evening, late evening, late night. Thoughts on sanctification by emailing me at newsif at yahoo.com. That's newsif at yahoo.com. Newsif at yahoo.com. Everyone have a wonderful night and may God bless you.